slave, a slave set free, as our discussion this morning. Uh, if you would take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to be kind of going around a little bit as we have been through this series. Ephesians chapter 2, last week, we were reminded that we don't have to be enslaved by sin. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen? You have the ability, you have the power within you to overcome sin because of the Holy Spirit. Um, there is a process to overcoming sin. And we talked about that last week. First, we need to acknowledge our sin and confess it, knowing that when we do, God will cleanse us from our sin and forgive us our sin. Um, But there is responsibility on our part to acknowledge it and then to confess it before a holy and righteous God. And as he reminds us in 1 Peter 1, we're to be holy as he is holy. He's lived a life, a perfect example, as the lamb without spot or blemish, without sin. Secondly, we need to understand that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 1 John 4, verse 4 talks about that. And Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We have the ability to be overcomers. And uh, once again, that responsibility first though comes on us to confess it and forsake it and to, to ask for that cleansing. And we realize that Thirdly, we need to understand that there's a way to escape it when it comes to overcoming temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about that. Verse 13 says uh, there is a way of escape. And oftentimes that way of escape is simply saying no. And it does come down to the matter of a will. My will or his will. Am I more interested in pleasing God or am I interested in pleasing and gratifying self? As long as self is on the throne, then we're going to live to please self. But when we relinquish the throne of our life to God, and we say it's more important to please Him than to please myself, then no becomes a little bit easier. And then we need to understand that we must renew our minds and learn to think correctly. Romans 12, 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Philippians 4, 8 gives us a prescription of what things to think on, what things to avoid. And we understand that we'll see victory over sin when we hide God's word in our heart. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So God gives us the ability and the wherewithal and the tools that we need to overcome sin so that we're not enslaved to sin. Because remember what he talks about? We talked about when we were born, we were born enslaved to sin. But when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he made us slaves to righteousness. And so righteousness ought to characterize our lives as children of God. But as we get into God's Word today, I want us all to be reminded that as God's children, we have been set free. Though born enslaved to sin, we've been made set free, now enslaved to righteousness, and in doing so, God makes us a part of His family. And He makes us His friends, according to John chapter 14, or 15, verses 14 and 15. We are His friends. It's amazing how we view the life of a slave versus the life of somebody who is just living their own life, the freedom. A slave is owned. Talked about that over and over the last several weeks. A slave is property. A slave has been purchased. And as God's children, we've been purchased by His blood. But through that process, we have been set free. And that's exciting. I've said for many years, I don't have a death wish. I don't really long to get up in the morning and say, Well, this is the last day. Woo, good time to die. Nobody normal does that. But let me tell you, I cannot wait for heaven. Amen? We have something so much greater to look forward to. And the best of this earth cannot compare to the least of heaven. 
Anybody excited about that? Man, some of y'all are still sleeping. I know you're tired now, but we have heaven to look forward to. That ought to get us excited. And this junk that happens every day in the news and in the newspapers and online and everything else, it is only temporary because we have been set free. Because we do have a hope and we do have a future. And that ought to get us excited because if I think about all that this world has to offer, that is downer. That is a big downer. But we have something more. We've been set free. But there's a process. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about. The process. How is it that I become slave to righteousness? How is it that I learn to serve God? How is it that I learn to put Him first? And we said everything revolves around the Word of God. If it weren't for the Word of God, we have nothing to anchor ourselves to. Books come and go, but the Bible stands forever. Throughout history, man has tried to destroy the only hope that we have unsuccessfully. And we still hold within our hands the Word of God. So the process we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to look at about seven or eight passages of Scripture, and let's walk through this process together. So first of all, in, uh, from being slaves to sin to becoming a member of the family, Ephesians chapter 2, I want to begin reading verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. So we talked about that very fact, that we are born in sin, born enslaved to sin, and that is past tense, right? Over and over we're reminded that that's the way we used to be before Jesus Christ came into our heart and our life. Verse 3 says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. And think about that. Previously, it means it's past tense. In other words, the, lustly, the, the fleshly desires and the lust that we have in our minds, that was once too in the past. Or at least it ought to be from the wording of the verse here. It says, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath as others were also. And then here's two great words. But God... There's the difference. But God came into the picture here. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah even though we were all dead in trespasses. We talked about that idea of trespasses. There's a prescribed boundary. And we were born on the wrong side of the line in sin. Born in those trespasses. Born on the other side. But God, who is rich in His mercy, because of the great love where He had loved us, made us alive. Then together with Christ, verse 6, Jesus also raised us up and seated us in the heavens, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. His riches, His grace, given to us daily, His mercy, His grace. Why? Because we're now part of the family. We're now no, are no longer alienated from God in our sin and trespasses, but now made heirs of the family of God, and now we're alive with Him. And then verse 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. He made us for a purpose. He brought us out of the miry clay, set our feet upon a rock, established our goings. And why did He do that, according to Psalm 40? 
so that we might become part of His family, so that we might have a new purpose in life, a new direction, a new way of living. All those things are dead. They're in the past. We're alive in Christ now. Why? So that we might perform His work. And I want us to think about this just for a moment. Before, the, before we can be saved, we have to understand that we are lost. Right? Does that make sense? We have to understand that we are lost. We are born that way before we can understand the, God, the riches of God's grace. And here's a test. If I'm living for God, doing what He asks us to do, that means that we're created for His, for His, under good works, and we're His workmanship, we're created good works, we're to do it. And the question is, is my life demonstrative of that? Does my life reflect a work for Jesus Christ? It might be a work in progress, but does it reflect a work that Christ is doing in my life? Over and over, He gives us the purpose for living. He gives us a purpose for bringing us out of what we were in, born into. He demonstrated throughout the children, the, the slavery and the children of Israel that He wanted something better for them. God wants something better for us. He doesn't want us to stay in our sin. He wants us to be living for Him, actively serving Him. But here's the thing. He changes everything. He gives us a purpose and a life and a direction because of His hope, because of the mercy that He gives us. The grace that is new every day. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. And you understand from this passage that, and we're going to talk about this just for a moment, that He adopts us into the family. In Romans chapter 8 verse 14 it says this, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children were also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. I mean, let's go right back to verse 14. All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's Son. In other words, if the Spirit of God is living within us, if we have truly given our life to Him, we've surrendered, we place our faith and trust in Him and Him alone, then His Spirit leads our spirit, then we are walking with God. And the whole idea behind the word led is what? He is leading, we are following. So once again, another test of whether or not we're in the family is whether or not we are following God. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His. This may be a little bit out there as far as an illustration, but it's, it's amazing to me from time to time I'll have someone say to me, Pastor, I'm not really sure if I'm saved. I mean, I've been in church my, most of my life. I've, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I think I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I mean, I've been trying to study God's Word. I've been trying to live an obedient life. I've been trying to be faithful to what God has asked me to be faithful to. Because I'm just not sure if I'm saved. And I said, why do you care? What? Yeah, why do you care? Well, Pastor, I mean, I, I just don't know if I'm saved. I mean, I, I, I'm concerned about it. I, I read my Bible. I go to church. I try to be obedient. Blah, 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 blah. And I said, but why do you care about those things? You see where I'm coming from? You wouldn't care if you weren't His child. I believe personally that's God's Spirit working with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's bearing witness with our spirit that we are His and we're under the conviction that maybe it's not that we're not saved, maybe that we're not walking in obedience. 
And I'm not saying that's the answer to everything. That's kind of out there a little bit. I understand. But I want you to understand, when we're walking with God, and we are truly His child, our spirit bears with His spirit that we are His. And when we're convicted of sin, that's His spirit bearing with our spirit, our spirit that we are living in sin, that we need to correct some things. We need to be careful that we review it as that. God working in our hearts to cause us to change in some areas. That's part of His job. That's just a small part of it. But it's part of Him saying, I love you, I care for you, you don't want to keep walking this way. And that's one of the blessings of being in the family, is that He cares for us. Any of us who have had children, any of us who have had children in our care, we care for them. And we don't want to see them making mistakes. We don't want to see them going down the wrong road. We don't want to see them making mistakes that could alter their life, do we? We know the hurt, we know the pain that's going to happen if they continue to make poor choices. And what do we do because we're their parents? We say, hey, you need to be careful there. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you go there, this is what's going to happen. You need to be careful because if you make that decision, this is going to be the result. And we do that as parents, right? That's what God does with us. Through our conscience, through through His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit, that we are His. And if you can live in sin and not be bothered by it, if you can continue to walk in disobedience and it not make you want to change and not give you the, the, the wherewithal to say, I've got to do different, that should be a telltale sign of whether or not we have His Spirit bearing witness with our spirit, whether or not the Spirit lives within us. But when Jesus Christ saves us, He adopts us into His family. And it's a forever family. And His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're His. And you know, here's the difference. When someone adopts a child, they choose to adopt that child. Just like a slave was chosen on the block. Just like they were purchased. Just like they were paid for. God chose. And that's awesome because He chose us. He loves us with everything that there is to love us with. We forget that sometimes. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Going on here. It says, For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more, has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. And who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, or anguish, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, because of you who are being put to death all day long, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than victorious through Him who loved us. 
For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, the things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things, you know what this says? That nothing can take us away from God's hand. There is not one thing on this earth that can separate us from the love that Jesus Christ has for us. We are in His forever family, like it or not. When we place our faith and trust in Him, we are forever part of His family. Adopted by Him into His family. Here's the difference. A slave doesn't get to know everything. As a child, you're in the family. So we go from being a slave of sin to being a slave of righteousness and then adopted into the family of Christ. Forever part of God's family, inseparable by anything in this world. Or anything not in this world. And I love what it says in John chapter 6. Just briefly, John chapter 6. He just so clarifies this so much. Verses 39 and 40. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but I should raise them up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. We are forever part of God's family by His choice adopting us. And He does it for a reason. And Ephesians chapter 1 gives us that reason. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus, or in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for, why? Himself. For Himself, according to His favor and will. To the praise of His glorious grace, that He has favored us within the Beloved. He adopted us for one reason. For Himself. Isn't that awesome? We're not here for ourselves. A slave is not here for himself. A slave is there to please his master. And he says, listen, there's a reason why I adopted you into my family. For me. For me. As simple as that may be, he says, for me. There's a reason. And I love it in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He has made us part of, him, part of his own family. We know there's a process. He does everything for his own glory. He does everything for his own will, for his own purposes. But the question I have to ask this morning is, are you part of that family? Have you gone from being a slave to sin to becoming a slave of righteousness and therefore being adopted into the family? You say, well, how can I know that for certain? Well, 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, well, I believe, but what more? I think God demonstrated this through Jesus Christ, a parable that he gave to us. Turn, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. 
Matthew chapter 25. I love how Jesus spoke in stories or parables to illustrate a point. Verse 14, it says this, For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. Now think about that just for a minute. There's a foreign concept right there. That a master would turn over his possessions to his slaves. But let me, let me just say this before we go further. Everything that God does is for stewardship. Do you realize that everything that you have, it's not yours? Um, I, I have a funny story about this. Aaron, you'd appreciate this. This is for you. As a youth pastor, I traded in my new truck. Just so you know, I had a truck when we first married. In fact, I had two trucks. At a 69 that was bored out 30,000, 350 in it, manual, lay rubber, and three gears. It was sweet. Sold it to become a youth pastor. And, uh, well, I sold it because I was a youth pastor, right? <laughs> Found out we were having kids. And uh, so, I, anyway, then I bought a brand new Chevy pickup. That lasted until my wife found out she was having a baby. And we traded it for the minivan. Ford Aerostar. Like it or not, believe it or not, I detailed that baby every Saturday morning. Where's, uh, where's Gary Goyette? Detailed that baby every Saturday morning. Got the Q-tips out, went inside the vents. Yeah, every Saturday morning. And then we moved to Elkhart, Indiana. And uh, had a youth group over. And one of the kids on the youth group was jumping on the back bumper, getting my, getting my minivan bouncing up and down like this. What was he holding on to? The spoiler. Boom! And I'm telling you what, my spoiler went flying off on my minivan. I'm telling you, I was proud of my minivan. It was spotless. And I was right then and there confronted with a question. How are you going to respond? Okay, it was a minivan, but it was my minivan. And all of a sudden, the look on every kid's face was like, what's Pastor Ken going to do? I'm going to smile and laugh because it was actually kind of funny. And then I'm going to go back to my house and I'm going to try to fix it. Because I really don't like what just happened. That grates against everything within me. But that day God taught me a lesson. It's not my minivan. I'm just a steward of what God's given to me. It's not mine. I've known people who've had children over their house and they put a scratch and then they call a company to come and fill the holes in the scratch. Seriously? Everything we have is from God. Without God, you'd have none of it. Apart from God, we wouldn't be here. Everything that we have is because God allowed us to be a steward of it. It's not yours. It's His. So what's that have to do with this? Let me read it again. Verse 14. For it is just like a man going on a journey. He called his own slaves 
and turned over his possessions to them. How could he do that? Well, first of all, it's Jesus. But secondly, because everything's, we're stewards of everything that God gives us. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look, I've earned two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. You say, well, that's great so far. One man earned five, the other man earned two, but look at the third one. Then the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You were a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathered where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But let's go to the master's response. But the master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and when I returned, I would have received my money back with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and, who, and he will have more than enough. But from what the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Read what it says here. I believe it's very clear. Two men were saved. One was not. Two men share my joy, thou good and faithful slave. One man cast into outer darkness where there be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Two men were saved. Two men were not. Think about the story just for a moment. Answer the question. Are you in the family? Are you part of God's family? See, when God gives us something, He gives it to us for a reason. That we might serve Him and glorify Him and bring glory to Him through it. If we're not, something's wrong. He had a false picture of fear. He says, well, I know you're, you're, you're a hard man. No, no, you're lazy. If you really cared, you'd at least put it in the bank and get interest. But you didn't even care enough. I think it's pictures of a lot of people in a lot of churches across America. They come in, all three slaves, they look a whole lot alike. Two are serving, one is not. Two are working hard, one is not. Two want to hear that, well, well done, though, good and faithful service. The other one doesn't care. Because it's all about him and his feelings about the master. I ask the question, are you in the family? Are you ba- busy serving the Lord? Are you working for the Lord and for His glory? See, I think they look a lot alike. But God knows the difference in the end. 
Two, busy investing, busy working, laboring. The other one there received but did nothing with it. What are you doing with what God's given to you? See, here's a question. If you are doing something with God's given you, I think you could basically say from the passage, practically speaking, you're serving God. You're trying to do something for the Lord. But if you're doing nothing with what you have, you can also say, hmm, I wonder if they really is doing anything for God, if they're really saved. Hmm. That's something we have to contemplate. Am I truly a child of God or am I not? Because if I am, I'll be busy using what God's given me for His glory. This was clear in the end. He says, cast him out. He's good for nothing. He'll go into outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. We say, well, isn't that a little harsh? I mean, he at least gave it back to him. He didn't lose the one. Right, but he did nothing with it. And how many people in churches across America are doing nothing with what God gave them? It's a question we have to answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 gives us a very clear principle. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8 says, Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are called to be faithful with what we have. Are you faithful to what God has given you? To whom much is given, much is required. But are you faithful with what God has given you? Very clear principle. But here's also another thing. Luke chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Luke 19, verse 11. As they were listening to this, he went out to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to the king and then return, to be king and then return. He called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. And at his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given the money to so he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good slave, he told him. Because you have been faithful in a very small matter, have authority over ten towns. And the second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, You will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I have kept it hidden away in cloth because I was afraid of you, for you are a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. And he told him, I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, Take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. Over and over he says, What's the point here? God rewards faithfulness. 
We saw in the first narration that two were working hard for the Lord, for His Master, and one did not. In the second one, we see that because they were faithful, God rewarded their faithfulness. I wonder, by our life, by how we serve God, by doing what we've been entrusted to do, with what we've been entrusted with to do it with, have we been faithful? Have we been faithful? Born enslaved to sin, trusting Jesus Christ enslaved to righteousness, becoming part of his family, and then entrusted to be his steward of the things that he's given to us. We know the process, but are we in the family? Have we been faithful? Have we done with our lives, does our testimony speak with our lives that we are his child? I'm not talking about do you go to church. I'm not talking about whether or not you are a good moral person. I'm saying by your life, by your service for the Lord, by your working for Him, are you a child of God? I mean, the one thought, oh, that's great. I gave Him back what He gave me. Right, but you missed the point. The point is not can you put what God's given you in in a safe and keep it there. Anybody can turn a dial, open a safe, put something in there, and protect it. Salvation is more than fire insurance. Salvation is more than just saying a prayer. God knows people across America and every continent say prayers every day. But that doesn't make them a child of God. Are you busy serving? Does your life reflect a life that has said, God, I serve you? By my life. I don't, I'm not just protecting the one thing I've got. I'm investing. And remember, we've said many times that life is about investing. It'd be wonderful to put $1,000 away for retirement, and all of a sudden, 30 years later, it'd be worth 100000 It don't work that way. Life is about investing. Invest a little, invest a little more, then invest a little more, and in the end... But what are we investing for the sake of the Lord? With our life. With what He's given to us already. What are we investing? Last passage. I want to look at is Mark chapter 13. Matthew, Mark. They're in the beginning of the Gospels. Verse 33, actually verse 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son except the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It's like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his slaves, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, he might come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Someday the Lord's going to return. I don't know when. Don't have an idea. I suspect it would be drawing nigh. 
But I don't know. But I know this, He's coming. Amen? Are you alert, ready for His appearing? Are you ready? Enslaved to sin, enslaved to righteousness, heirs in the family of God. Steward, serving God, His workmanship, or still enslaved to sin. The question I want to leave us this morning, we've been talking about this last several eight weeks or so, about being a slave to Jesus Christ, being fully surrendered to Him. It starts with a relationship with the Master. It's simple as that. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I think I'm saved. Well, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. But let me ask you this question. Can you look back at a time in your life? I'm not talking about a day in the calendar and say, well, it was June 14, 1979. I'm not talking about the date. What I am talking about this morning is, can you look back at a time in your life where you said, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross. I believe that. And I confess Jesus Christ that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, cleanse my heart, and I call on you to be my Savior. I place my faith and trust in you and you alone. Not just, uh, well, I always believe that. No, there has to be a point in your life where God worked in your life and drew you to Himself. Do you have that time where Jesus Christ brought you from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness? Can you look back and say, there's a time in my life where I said, God, you have me. I I realize you're working in my heart. I realize you're drawing me to yourself. And God, I surrender. There has to be that point. And then my life brings validation to that call to that time of surrender, to that time where I place my faith and trust in Him, my life validates that by my service and work for the Lord. There has to be a time. Some people say, well, I've always believed that. Well, that may be true. But at what point did you say, I confess before Jesus Christ? I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. My life changed. Everything changed. I'm now all His. You and God know that answer. I don't. And you and God have that to deal with. I would love to say, oh, you're saved, and you're saved, and you're saved. But guess what? That's just a pipe dream. That's between you and God. And I would love to say, man, it would be wonderful to have everybody in our church fully devoted followers of Christ, saved, baptized, growing in Christ, waking up every day just wanting to follow God. That, too, is a pipe dream. (laughs) But that would be what we strive for. Serving God.